I thank you for the gathering of the saints this morning who have done well to spring ahead. And we ask your blessing on our time now that it would glorify you and that we would be learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we approach the throne. Amen. Amen. So we've been continuing to go through the letters of John Newton and using some specific some quotes from uh, letters that John has written uh, for those that... Why? So, uh, John Newton, as you all know, is, is, is most well known for what? What's John Newton most well known for? Amazing Grace, right. So, uh, he's also, though, he's not going to have a collection of, of sermons out there like Spurgeon, okay? There's not volumes of John Newton's sermons out there because that's not what he's well known and famous for. He is, however, very well known for the letters that he wrote to friends and associates and people that he met along the way. And that is what he did. He's literally known for thousands of letters, not all of which are published, but that's how he ministered to people in the day. Okay, you couldn't pick up a phone and call, you couldn't just run down the street for a cup of coffee, or uh, the White Horse Inn didn't come along for years later for uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis to sit around and have a beer in, but yes. Is that a library book you have? No, no, this is a gift. This is a gift from Darlene Collins. We went through, um, in our small group, we did a book, Tony Renke of Desiring God Ministries wrote a book called John Newton on the Christian Life. And he went through and took some of Newton's sayings and letters and whatnot and put together. Probably after Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress, it has become my third favorite book. Yep, I think it's that good. But from there, because we liked it so much and she knew that I liked it, a couple of weeks later, this arrived in the mail. It was a little gratuity, so I was thankful for that. And I get to share it with you. And so... The letters being letters of exhortation and encouragement and admonishment and, and gentle reproof were needed. I determined at that point, let's have a, before I sort of got into the letters, we talked about what is biblical exhortation and admonition and reproof and, uh, and rebuke, which is what I call reproof on steroids. And, you know, how do we do that as Christian people? How do we encourage one another? It's really part of who we are. It's in the warp and woof of what we should be to one another and speaking the gospel. And so whether it's, whether, it's, uh, whether it's admonishment or exhortation or whatever type of communication it is, it's gospel speak. And so we want to be in the habit of doing that, knowing how to encourage people in the gospel, knowing how to... Again, the gospel is always the foil against which we either encourage or exhort. It's always the goal. The goal is always directing people back to the gospel, back to Jesus Christ. Always. And so we, we talked about those different things. And I thought before we dug in some more to the letters today, we'd take sort of that last step in that process because we talked about what those things are and then we talked about how do you go about doing those how do you exhort how do you reprove how do you admonish and it makes sense to talk about as Gary brought up one one day how, how do you respond <laughs> how do people receive we always like to call it receiving criticism for some reason although that we are sovereign grace chapels and Christians do this we all still love our language sometimes betrays a sense in us that our focus and emphasis is on self because we say things like accountability partners, which I understand the sentiment behind that. But to me, accountability has got like this sense of always, you're always on the cusp of doing wrong and need someone to be accountable to. I like to call them gospel partners or holiness partners or sanctification partners. So I'm doing away with the accountability partner language in my mind. But we always, we always like to, you know, we always use language that somehow indicates all of us are always on the cusp of sin and we've got to be looking out for each other to make sure we stop each other in our sin. Which is true, right? But above and beyond that, we've got to be making sure we're living the gospel. It's very easy to turn 
Our sanctification into a self-directed, self-oriented, self overly self-reflective life, which will just leave you miserable, guaranteed. Some of you know that. So it's a very important part of what we do. Obviously, right? Exhortation, encouragement, all those things. But always with the goal of the gospel. Not just correcting your behavior. Not trying to improve your moral fiber. Not trying to improve your moral character in that way. That's a, a byproduct of the gospel. Uh, a more a loving character. A more uh, To be known as a loving person. To be known as an encourager. Then what comes about through the gospel. Making its way into the real fabric of who we are. So... We often, and I say all that to say, we often talk about how should we receive criticism. Well, again, even the word criticism has somewhat, somewhat of a derogatory feel to it, right? I, I would rather be exhorted than criticized. I'd rather be admonished than criticized. That just that word criticized has this, doesn't it? Doesn't it have like a demeaning? Demeaning. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, 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 it feels a little demeaning, and that's probably because when people criticize, they tend to be overly critical. <laughs> right? And we can easily be overly critical, but how do we respond to admonition, exhortation? Uh, what, what's the first, what's the, well, being honest, right? What's the first thing we feel when someone has something to say to us that in some way challenges our conduct or our language? Yes, Mark and then Dave. I, I don't know. Oh, Dave and Mark. There's this, there's this terrible flaw in my personality where the minute I hear a word of criticism, huh? my first instinct is to defend myself yes. and, and feel yeah. like yeah. I, I must yeah. take the edge in the conversation <laughs> and maybe tell that person off. What a great way to put it. You, want, you feel like you want to get the edge in the conversation, right? Exactly. Well, I, you know, you, and you say it's a deep flaw in your character. It's one that we all share. Yeah, I think it gets in the area of self-justification. Yeah. You know, once you've gotten through those... Somebody criticizes you, you get defensive, and you start to justify what you've done, and you yeah, it, it, it gets messy real quick. Why? Why do we do that? Self preservation. Self preservation, right? Because we feel like it. <laughs> yeah, we're so um, proudful. Yeah, who's yeah? We are pride, right? Isn't that ultimately what's going on behind the? Draw back the curtain, and then you'll see prideful Todd. Yes. <laughs> 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 you had your hand up if it was someone else. It would have been, pri- been prideful. Might be apropos. It would have been prideful, Bill. Or, you know. uh, is there any man among you that is willing to defraud himself? Hmm. And, and so elaborate on that a little bit because. Well, two men going to court with one, one another, bringing that example to the church and also hmm. to the church in relationship to the world. Hmm. And therefore, is there anyone willing to actually take the humble road rather than the prideful road? And yeah. Instead of driving a stake in the ground, you're willing to cross the line and say, listen, I'm willing to take the punishment even if I'm in the right. Yeah. He says, well, I'd rather be wrong. Yes, yeah. yeah right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, as I've heard it said in the past, is it more important to be right or to love? You know? And I, and I my bent is towards being right. You know what I mean? Part of this, the dark side of the gift of being uh, immersing myself in Christian apologetics and learning how to defend an argument. The problem is when you're always uh, practicing the art of defense, you're, you're always in a defensive posture, right? My daughter at karate, they have these various different stands, you know? And one of them is, is like, this is the horse stand. You're like immediately ready to go like this, right? You're immediately ready to go. And, um, and, and animals in the wild are like that. Their muscles are wound almost... To the point where there there is a maximum point of ready to spring loose, and we're like that. 
we can be like that. And and yet we know, Dave, you know, Todd, we all know that we'd be readily ready ready to admit that yes, we have flaws. And we're sinners and all that. And but when that really gets brought out, all of a sudden we're not so you know, we're, we're, our talk is can be a little cheap, Mark. I was just gonna say that when we readily admit that we have flaws, but that's sort of theoretical. Yes. <laughs> yes, it fits in. If you're gonna fit in with a Christian, you have to be you have to acknowledge you're a sinner, right? You're a sinner in need of God's grace. Oh the grace oh, yeah. of God, oh it's the grace of God. Well, all of a sudden, it's no longer a grace of God when you receive some sort of a correction or, or whatever. Um, I once heard a guy, he was pretty sharp to rebuke, and the first thing he said was, so thank you for that rebuke. Whether he even sort of thought it was legitimate or not, for several reason he saw in that other person the Christian fellowship uh, and, and partnership that was willing to help him straighten out his course again. And I thought, this is a good example. It's not our first response is not thank you, sir. May I have another. <laughs> That's not. So we have to work on that. And I would suggest that the first way that we respond to the truth is to is, is the same way as we speak the truth, which is in love. We speak the truth in love, and we should be ready to receive the truth in love. And so, if we apply First Corinthians thirteen to the way that we receive these sorts of things, then I think we'll be just fine, right? So we're not going to be arrogant or boastful or. You know, we're going to rejoice in the truth, not in unrighteousness. When we start to defend ourselves, we're, we're, we, we, are, we are acting in righteous, unrighteous. We are loving unrighteousness when the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves. Um, not that there was an unfair attack sometime, and I think there's a way to handle that. Um, but if you think of the other things in 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's, it's patient. We receive criticism patiently. Are we, are we, are we, are we, are we kind? You know, are we, are we not going to? Are we going to? Are we going to believe all things? In other words, are we going to believe that the person has our best interest at heart? This is contrary to our human, to our nature. This requires, this requires, it almost requires thought ahead of time. If you know, for example, that, uh, you know, like like the console in my car, you can only hold a coffee cup so big. If you go beyond that size, you're going to have to be aware that if that tips either way. I'm going to end up having to sop up the coffee that gets in that thing, and that annoys me, right? So I have to be mindful before I even put that thing in there. Make sure I've got this little hokey Dunkin' Donuts straw in so that I'm ready. And the same way, we've got to be ready in life. You've got to be prepared ahead of time. Because if, we can, if we're, if we're gospel-oriented and gospel-centered, and we know that in some parts we're going to fail unless we think we're perfect, and if someone's going to love us enough to correct it, we've got to be prepared in our mind. You know, gird up the loins of your mind. And be ready, you know. And so I think that, and and the other things that go with First Corinthians, First Corinthians thirteen, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna hold a resentment about it. You're not gonna resent. Much easier said than done, uh, because it, in in some ways it does hurt. I mean, it, it's supposed to, right? Proverbs fifteen thirty one to thirty two. The ear that listens to life giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say whoever ignores instruction despises the other person. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So to despise yourself is to think more of yourself than you ought to. That you don't need reproof, that you don't need correction. That is to despise yourself. 
If you think that highly of yourself, you're actually doing yourself great harm. And can you imagine in, in our day and age, we live in a gotcha everything. We, we love to see, and this is the other thing that we do that reinforces our own um, bad practice, is we love to hear politicians or news people zing people with whom they disagree. We, we, we do. Um, and it's gotten to an extreme. You know, Gary, if you want to give directions, it's very easy to get there, isn't it? All you got to do is take a left at that obnoxious flag at the corner of your street, right? Right? Because we've gotten to that point. We've gotten to that point where you want to say the harshest, most severe thing. It's not fair criticism for the most part. Oftentimes, the straw man arguments, where you're, 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 uh, to make a straw man argument is to take that other person, misrepresent their position, and then attack it. And we do it, and we do it in extremes. And so if we're always doing that, and if we're always enjoying that, it's like the person that says, I want to be a less lustful person, but I'm going to continue watching these movies with this, you know, uh, the, the modern, the modern uh, sex scenes. And I'm going to watch those. Well, you, you can't have it both ways. You're not going to be able to help get, you know, lustful thoughts under control if you freely go. In the same way, if we're engaging, if we're indulging in, and it's very easy to be indulging in our, in our society and the attacks that go on. The, the genuine criticism, policy criticism, so important, right? I mean, Bill, you make you make a you make a living. You do what you have to do to help point out to point out uh, bad policy and the in the in the consequences of bad policy for for our communities, right? I mean, to some extent, on the school committee, I do the same thing, right? We we have our we have a I'm on the negotiations subcommittee. Okay, so we're negotiating right now with the teachers' union for the next contract. Things get hairy in there, man. I'm telling you, it, it's it, and it's not a. It, it, it easily shifts from a a correction of policy, and at some point, you know, there. Fortunately, we have a mediator there. Okay, that can say, okay, you know, you're getting into a personal attack here. You, you've gotten away from addressing policy. You're getting into personal attack because somehow. And if someone gets personally attacked, so we're living in a culture that constantly says, "Be ready for personal attack. Be ready to give it back." It's how the news does so well. It's how there's such a pop. You know, that's why the the, the more opinionated types of shows do so well because we're we're sort of we're living out a surrogate life through them. They've become sort of our. Uh, they've become the we we live our life through them a little bit. We like to see. You know, you like to. Uh, here the way Sean Sean Hannity just you know blasted Jen Psaki. Oh, okay, so we have to be careful that we are not seeing in the world First Corinthians thirteen. That is not where we're going to learn. This is where we consistently and regularly need to come back to the gospel. Now we can handle these things in varying degrees. You know, some people can handle that kind of stuff, and some people can't. If you're someone that's given to, you know. Sarcasm and zingers, and you know, getting the one-upmanship. <laughs> Probably stay away from those things. Right, some people can watch that stuff and just filter through it. I don't have that gift. If you do, use it well. Psalm one forty-one five. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Can you finish that verse? Yes, I'll get to it. I just wanted that to stink in first. Let a righteous man strike me. Right? It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. You know? Now, I don't know what advantage oil for the head had back in those days. It had to have some... 
I know they put oil on the heads of sheep and everything to keep the mosquitoes and gnats and everything away. I don't know why they put oil on the heads of people back then, unless it was for dandruff or conditioner. Well, it was ceremonial on Aaron's. Aaron, mm. The oil was poured on Aaron's head and ran down. Possibly, right? Because it is a, um, like you said, an anointing type thing. So maybe he's the psalmist is just thinking that highly of the importance of let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. And so I think you can almost turn that into a prayer. Lord, let not my, let not my head refuse that rebuke. Let me, help me process it. Help me be more gentle in receiving it. Help me to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because our first reaction when we get that kind of feedback from someone isn't always. Isn't always. It can be. And again, it does. What is also very helpful is when it's delivered the right way. Amen. You know, when, uh, was it last week or the week before? I was sharing uh, with the class. You weren't here that week. That remember that uh, Cheryl was here, and I was talking about the night at her house when you were giving a teaching on something, and I challenged that teaching in just a coarse way. And Gary had to go away the next day, and so it was like two weeks before he could talk to me about it. And I was making the point that rather than just getting in my face the next morning before he left to make sure he, you know, corrected me, he sat with it for a couple of weeks. And when we got together for lunch afterwards, it was was much much more easily given and much more easily received. It was much more easy for my heart to break than for my head to. You know, set up the defenses. The way that the way that you give it can be very helpful. But even when someone doesn't do it well, we still have a uh, a gospel obligation to receive it in the best way that we can, and to not let it get get away from us. But it's going to take practice. You know. Yes. That was Psalm one forty one five. I think it's verse three. Oh, maybe I might put the wrong reference down. I would trust you before the concordance, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, Psalm one forty one. Uh, oh, sorry, Ecclesiastes seven oh, five. Let this be the hour we draw swords together. <laughs> I'll accept the criticism. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worthy. <laughs> you be, especially if you're gonna, if you are gonna challenge somebody on a on a verse like that. Yeah, like really, what I challenge, I might think in the back of my mind. Nah, man, I think that's Hebrews four six. I think he's wrong on that. But I'm gonna go look it up first <laughs> in three different translations. <laughs> Ecclesiastes seven five. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. That's interesting. What would the song of fools be? What, what, what's the contrast there? Do you suppose? I, unless it's just a sort of, you know, metaphor for just sort of the nice sing-songy things people say to each other, and you know, empty flattery, you know, things that don't really do any good. They might puff you up, as a matter of fact. The flattery, for flattery's sake, can be a. a, a we talked about um, when giving biblical encouragement that encouragement is not flattery. Okay. It shouldn't be. It's it's spiritual. It's first and foremost spiritual. You're encouraging someone. Boy, the Lord really is, is doing a work in you. You know that kind of thing. Just being careful to help, not put a stumbling block in front of the other person. Yes, Gary. I don't know if you have this verse in your list, but it says, "Reprove not a scorner, mm-hmm. lest he hate thee. Yeah. But rebuke a wise man, and he'll love you." Mm-hmm. So depending on the kind of person you're talking to yeah. would gauge the way you approach them. That's a good point, too. Either harsher words or softer words or maybe not at all because they're not in a condition to receive them anyway. So 
you're, it's not the right time. That's a good point. Uh, that's one I hadn't thought of, right? To have a discerning uh, thought and then able to, to have that discernment to know the different ways you approach people, the way you approach you know, Randy, when he's got a chainsaw, might be different than the way you approach me with a cup of coffee, right? Or, you know what I mean, right? You, you, you think about what is, how does that, what's that person usually like? If they're a bit of a hothead, I'm going to have to, you know, going to have to take the same approach. And, I, you know, I think Jesus did that with parables, didn't he? I, in some ways, at times, I think Jesus used the parables as a form of admonition and even reproof. And he did it in such a way that the recipients of the parable, they're... they're because he didn't do it as a, as a direct attack, the, the defenses were down, and the message got through when they didn't expect it. You know, that was one of the beauty of parables that Jesus used so so well. Uh, yeah, you know, in that line of reasoning, my mind was going to when Jesus scolded Israel and said, you know, mm. it's like children in a playground. Yeah. You know, they played the game, they yep. did not dance, and they sang mm-hmm. the dirge, and you did not mourn. Yes. So, Indeed. happiness and also in scolding and mm-hmm. mourning language that, you know, God judges the, the nation. So, you know, the, a nation can, can actually fall in that category. A church yes. in its totality also can fall yes. in that. Not receiving rebuke, so it might go on the right path as well. Yes, absolutely. And another thing, too, is, you know, you have to be careful in giving that admonishment and encouragement. I think you can encourage people publicly. But reproof, I think, needs to be handled a little more gently. And occasionally, as we've seen in Scripture, it requires a public... What, what is a public reproof required versus a private one, you suppose? And you can think of biblical examples. Yes, Richard? I guess I would say a, um, a very public sin that influenced mm. a lot of people, maybe. And yes. so it requires a public reproof to yes. um, set things straight in the eyes of the Yes. April, did I get to your hand yet? Yeah, I was just going to say the song of fools thing. Like, fools are full of empty stuff, and whenever yeah. they say, there's no change of heart. You know, whether it's <laughs> anger or yeah. love yes. or sad or whatever, yes. they just go on and on and mm-hmm. on, and then the next day everything's mm-hmm. still the same. Exactly. Good point. Yep. Yep. Thanks. Mark? I was just going to mention, I think uh, public reproof depends on who is uh, in need of reproof. Right. If it's an elder, certainly needs True. to be uh, public. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, elders that in is, is, is it a First Timothy five? Okay. First Timothy five, the elders that you know the persistent sin rebuke in the presence of all. Right? Yeah. After you've brought that sin to their attention. But again it might be a, like Paul rebuked Peter very publicly. <laughs> Jesus rebuked Peter very publicly. You know? Peter Peter was, was often you know, his impetuousness was often a public display of stupidity, right? So, it required some... Because it impacted... He was a powerful leader and impacted the people around me. Imagine hearing Jesus say, get behind me, Satan, when he... Now, I think that actually there's a couple things going on there. Jesus is not calling Peter Satan. He's speaking to the spirit that's in work in Peter when he's doing that. And the fact that Peter gave himself over to that spirit, right? So, I mean, he's not calling Peter Satan. Am I... Are we in agreement on that? Well, he was being impetuous. Right. Yes. It's quite a thing to go around telling somebody they're Satan. <laughs> As it is, again, every political opponent calls every other political political opponent the Antichrist or Hitler. Right? Everyone's always being compared to the Antichrist or the Hitler. You know, can we totally tone it back a notch? Okay, is that person really like Hitler? Okay, uh, are they really the Antichrist? Okay, so maybe the spirit of Antichrist alive in the world. Any other verses that come to mind 
when you think about these things, Rich? Uh, Proverbs 27, 6. Uh, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, yeah. deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Oh, yeah. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. When an enemy flatters you, right? Or an enemy gets... Ecclesiastes 8, 5, and 6. The wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. But there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. Good point. So timing is important as well. It's not just yeah. what the person needs to hear. It's when the person is ready to receive it and when mm-hmm. you're ready to give it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there has to be a seasonal aspect to the timing of it. Yep. I think that what might be some practical ways when someone gives that sort of reproof or something and you immediately feel that sense of, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like in the movies, a couple of guys see each other on the west, and the first thing they do is pull back that cloak and expose their tongue, right? <laughs> How do you not do that? What, what can we do to not do that? What's, so if you know what it feels like to receive, and husbands and wives probably need, to, need this as much as anyone, right? Because they're the ones we can most freely reprove, even in, in subtle ways. But what's the best way to be... When somebody says something, what can you begin to practice to do? To be a better sort of um, to, to to better experience to grow in that area. What, what can you do practically speaking? You're biting your tongue. No, <laughs> yeah, people back there biting their tongue. Yeah, and, and <laughs> is there a way? Or maybe start swearing at eternal and toning it down when you finally get to a person. Person, right? Is, is, I'm sorry. What did you say? I'm making a joke. Oh, okay. I didn't. I went right over me. Yeah. Swearing at a turtle, by the time you get to the person, you're telling a devil. That's the part I didn't hear. It's kind of fun to swear at a turtle. You just got to stand there and take it. They can't turn and run. Are you asking about the giver or the receiver? The receiver. Okay. Because I think we've talked, you know, a pretty good length about giving, but receiving, I want to emphasize, I want to focus on that a little because hopefully we're as quick to receive as we are to give. Yes. I think having an open mind and an open heart to receive whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when it comes to criticism, it's more blessed to give than receive. Definitely holds true. <laughs> but you know, oh, so it's, but, but what about right at that moment? What is that on an unguarded moment? You haven't been in the woods meditating, thinking about the Lord, and you're like, you're, you're just, anything could happen, and you'd just be like, I'm so full of gospel, hope, and peace right now. You'd spit my eye, it wouldn't matter. But what about those times when. Oh, you just got out of traffic, you got to work, the server is down, the uh, the, the, the carrying machine isn't working right, you got to clean out the... All this stuff is going on, a couple of people called in, so everybody else is miserable, and then somebody says something to you. Mm. Oh, what, what can you do that's just very practical? How can you train yourself in that moment of practice to... What, what can you do? Take a deep breath. You yeah, could do that, yeah. Stop, count to ten, or whatever it is. To, yeah. Give me a few seconds to... Uh, yeah, I think it's even okay to say, you know what, I need a couple of minutes with that. You might be right, I, I got to go think about it, because financially right now, I'm going to just make things worse. So just give me five and I'll be happy to talk to you some more about that. <laughs> boy, oh boy, that's hard. But it just reveals, right, how much... And, of course, the thing that will always have us, just like everything else in Scripture, just and what all these letters are about, is a life of meditation and reflection and prayer and just gospel-centered, gospel-saturated life. Because 
if you're always doing that, I mean, it's, it's like the whole... I noticed with uh, Rory the other day with her karate and things like that. All of a sudden, she's starting to be able to put force and speed together at the same time. And she's probably not even aware of it. And I know that because she can elbow me a lot quicker and harder than she used to when I sneak up on her. And, you know, put my arm around her, ready to, you know. And it's just like, so it's becoming just... Wouldn't it be nice to have gospel reflexes? I guess, right? Our life is developing gospel reflex. And it just goes against all the training we have. It's going to... You're going to get spiritual sciatica. You're going to get. You're going to tear a spiritual ACL. All that stuff is going to happen. But we can grow in that, and, and, and then the scar tissue will settle in, and we'll be the kind of people that can receive that thing well. And be very careful in both the giving and be very care- make sure when you're giving it, it's necessary. Yes, Mike. Seems like a uh, it's, it's, uh, recommending a spirit of gentleness mm. in the body. Sure. If you have that, then it's a, I think it's almost like the, the whole assembly being wrapped in a giant cloud of mm-hmm. uh, gentleness. It's the whole, you know, the fruit of the spirit. You know, yeah. to be the kind of person that's you know loving, joyful, and peaceful, and patient, and goodness, and kind, and gentle, and self-control, and fa- all those things. You know, that gets poured into your um, concern for another person so that it's a genuine concern. And you're not just trying to win points or diminish the person or make them feel badly. All this stuff is always going on in our heads all the time that we're just not even aware of. All this process that's always, always happening in our heads all the time, it's the it's who we are. And God is, is constantly at work in us and through the Gospel, through the Spirit, making us more and more like Christ with that. So, you know, maybe we could, the time will come when we can give a kind of rebuke Jesus gives with the same heart. But it'll take a while to get there. Yes, Abel. I was trying to think of the verse of training in righteousness, and I find the thought in his soul is like the first Timothy, and it's all scripture is given mm-hmm. by God for correction, yep. rebuke, mm-hmm. whatever, and training in righteousness. Mm-hmm. So, rebuke is in there. Indeed. And, you know, yeah. in that spirit of training. Yep. I learn, you know, again, with our kids, we'll learn so much too, you know. Having a having a ten year old, it's you just really learn. Am I going to correct her to satisfy something in me? Am I going to correct her because I'm agitated? Am I going to correct her because I just want quiet? Am I, or am I going to think first about who she is, what she's doing, what she needs, and all that? Yes, I, I think I give a, uh, a practical example. It just happened about a week, mm. a week or two ago, doing outdoor uh, ministry with a uh, few people, and one of the brothers there. Uh, who I've been with from for a year and a half. Um, I invited another brother to come, who uh, is a mature brother in the Lord. He's been in the Word for years. I think he pastored for a number of years as well. Mm-hmm. And he's done a lot of evangelism and so on. Anyway, he met this other brother, and uh, they hadn't met each other before ever. I, I was on the microphone at the time. I didn't get involved, but the brother that... What the older brother was thinking when he put it to the younger brother. The younger brother came up to me and said, Hey, Gary, i got to talk to you. I goes, Okay, anytime. So we, he ended up wanting to talk about it. Well, let's talk about it right now. We've got a few minutes. Mm-hmm. He says, You know, that brother that you invited, he told me how important it was for me to join a church. Mm-hmm. And he had never thought of that, you know, because mm-hmm. um, he's been active on Sundays doing his own thing and gotcha. popping here and there and mm-hmm. so on. And uh, I said, I'm glad... I'm glad that he said that to you. I think you should search your heart about that, brother. And, uh, 
uh, I don't want you to join the wrong, a wrong church. I want you to be careful about what. But anyway, my point was that he received it yeah. uh, conscientiously, yep. and it's something that had never pricked his conscience. And he's, a, he's a new believer, so I'm not, I'm not saying you know he's in yep. rebellion or something like right. that. But he never thought of that mm. uh, until this older brother, and he must have done it in a very, I could tell, a very gracious way. Yes. But he was forward with him as well. Mm. And my point is that. The way it was received was, I thought, remarkable and a testimony to the humility of the brother. Rather than saying, hey, you know what I do on Sundays? I go and he, he does do ministry on Sundays during the normal church hours. And that's why he's not connecting himself to a church. Mm -hmm. He was basically trying to tell the brother, you should put your church as a priority and worship before you do evangelism and that type of thing. Sure. And he had never thought of that. Anyway, oh, it was cool. just so well received and I, I thought that was wonderful the way he Indeed. took it. Good, good. Thanks for that. Well, let, let's let's get into a few. Uh, unless there's any additional comments or questions or anything on that particular topic of of uh, giving, but more importantly, you know how to receive. I guess practice that. Try to be mindful of it. Next time somebody says something to you that immediately in your mind is a challenge, whether it is or not, just you know take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. Right? <laughs> So these letters, we looked at a couple already um, in, in a number of letters to different people. This one is a series of letters to Mrs. Wilberforce, right, the wife of John Wilberforce. So, you know, you know, like right away, that sounds fascinating, right? Because who is John Wilberforce? Uh, he, uh, he, for many years, was working to try to eliminate slavery. I'm sorry. William Wilberforce. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. He was an opponent of slavery, and you know, for a long time, took a long time to get them to uh, eliminate. Sure did. He was yeah. a member of parliament. Yes, yeah. he was. That means a strong Christian member of parliament. Uh, I mean, there's a textbook example, right? Uh, what, a, what an example he is of how to be involved in, as, a, as God's person, God's gospel man, God's gospel woman in that situation, in that environment. You know, for, for such a thing as that. What an amazing thing. <clears throat> uh, so again Mrs. Wilberforce was the wife of William Wilberforce Esquire uh, she was a remarkably godly woman here the editor of this book is saying a lover of all true Christians and ever anxious and ready with her influence and her wealth to promote the cause of Christ many of her letters to the Reverend William Bull who also did uh, an anthology of the letters are in the possession of the editor all of them breathing a most devout spirit and speaking in a letter of praying especially on the Saturday evening for the Lord's ministers and people, Mr. Newton adds, writing to her, at such, at such times I particularly remember those friends with whom I have gone to the house of God in company. Consequently, you are not forgotten. I can venture to assure you that if you have a value for our prayers, you have a frequent share in them. Yea, are loved and remembered by many here. Okay, so that she had become quite dear to both John Newton and to the church where he was pastoring and um, here's some of this is a particular letter scriptural views of sin looking to Jesus this is July 1764 my dear madam the complaints you make are inseparable from a spiritual acquaintance with our own hearts I get the sense here that she's got a concern about still sin in her heart and those things are troubling her conscience I would not wish you to be less affected with a sense of indwelling sin. It becomes us to be humbled into the dust 
Yet our grief, though it cannot be too great, may be under a wrong direction. And if it leads us to impatience or distrust, it certainly is so. So what's he saying there? He's saying we all have a, we all come under the sort of the conviction of sin, and we all deal with that. And he's saying, you know, truly we really can't our grief over sin cannot be too great. But if it's under a wrong direction, if it's not directed towards the right end, in other words, if it leads us to impatience or distrust, it is certainly so. So our own obsession with, our own way of not looking at these problems in a right way, looking at sin, can become a source of creating us distrust in ourselves and in others, I think he's saying, and certainly impatience. It's easy to become... What's, I think in your own life of some particular thing that... It's just stayed with you and driven you kind of crazy and you just you want to be done with it, you grieve over it, and sort of it's still there. And you could become impatient over that. You could become overly agitated over that. Okay? Sin, he said, is the sickness of the soul, in itself mortal and incurable, as to any power in heaven or earth but that of the Lord Jesus only. That's the only cure. It's impervious to any other power. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ in, in the gospel. He says, but he is the great infallible physician. Have we the privilege to know his name? Have we been enabled to put ourselves in his hand? We, then, we have then no more to do but to attend his prescriptions, to be satisfied with his methods and to wait his time. He's talking about the freedom of the influence of particular human nature here. And he's saying, we have then no more to do but to attend his prescriptions. What are his prescriptions? What are these prescriptions Newton's talking about? He's saying, look, attend these particular things. These things that sort of avail us to put ourselves in the the sphere of gospel, right? How do we do that? What, What are the things? What do we do rather than just sitting there opining our sin? Rich, is that a hint? Yeah, is it, is it the means of grace? Oh, yeah, sure. I think that's just another way that he puts it, yeah. And, and which are? Well, participate in the fellowship. Right? Yeah. Prayer, reading Bible. Yes, April? I was thinking that God forgives us and we need to forgive ourselves. If we keep dragging sin up over and over again. Well, I think, yeah, if, if we don't believe that God has forgiven us, then the talk of forgiving ourselves is, is it, it's a waste of time. Because there's a certain sense of which I think I heard uh, um, who's the he's long gone now the old Presbyterian dude that did the Bible bus. Oh, Jay Vernon. <laughs> Jay Vernon McGee was talking about. Who do you think you are? You don't forgive yourself. Get over yourself. You know what I mean? You go to God for forgiveness. God is the one who forgives, right? So yeah, you're going to be stuck in that sense of and not forgiving yourself might even just be a sense of pride. You think you should be able to, you know? You're better than that. You're better than that. You know what I mean? I can get myself through this. Yeah, so, Scripture, all those things that we always talk about all the time. Right? That's the only way. Just being in, you know, just being gospel, again, gospel-saturated people. If you're gospel-saturated people, you're going to be soaking with grace. You're going to... It is lawful to wish we were well. It is natural to groan, being burdened. But still, he must and will take his own course with us. And however dissatisfied with ourselves, we ought still to be thankful that he has begun his work in us and to believe he will make an end. Therefore, while we mourn, 
we should likewise rejoice. We should encourage ourselves to expect all that he has promised and we should limit our expectations by his promises. <laughs> Can he say a lot in a little, huh? We should, we should limit our expectations by his promises. Somebody, Romans 8.23. And uh, somebody else could... Uh, Randy, would you go to uh, Psalm 138.8? Sue, would you go to Philippians 1.6? Um, 8.23. Richard, 8.23. Romans. Dave, would you get 2 Corinthians 4.7? Okay. Randy first. Psalm 138.8. What I'm doing is... These are the scriptures that I these are the scriptures I see feeding his mind as he's giving this advice. It caught me off guard, brother. It's alright, man. No glasses. It's alright, two bought the donuts, says Grace. One thirty eight eight. Gotcha. And the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hand. Yeah. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Ah, that's, that's a great verse. Even the old psalmist knows that. He's going to complete everything in the, the, regarding me and my relationship to him. The Philippians passage. And I am sure of this, that he began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he is no way done with us. And we can ask ourselves, why does, why does without in a blaming way, why... why haven't I grace sufficient enough yet to overcome this? Well, we don't really understand ourselves well to know how that sin got so ingrained in us and, and how it's such a part of us. Only He knows exactly what it's going to take to extract that. Right? He knows in particular the way that's, that's going to happen. Okay? It, it's, <laughs> he knows if that's going to happen by natural birth or C-section. You know? He knows if this is going to require anesthetic or not. He knows exactly. We don't. We, 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 can, we can see that sin for what it is, but how it's ingrained in us, how it got in there, all our background, all, our ba- all that stuff that we can't possibly know all at once, and how to resolve all at once like he does, he's going to do. So that's not to excuse sin, so much as to say there's a, there's a benefit that accrues to us through the processes that the Lord uses to get that out of us, so it stays out of us, whatever that's going to be. Okay, he can get the root of the thing while we're constantly just plucking the head off it. He can bring it to that deeper repentance that we don't even know we have to repent of yet. So, he's so much smarter than we are. Romans 8.23 Not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Yeah, we groan within ourselves. Part of that Sorrow over sin is groaning within ourselves because the creation, including us, is not yet what it's supposed to be. We are longing for that. But for that, with the rest of creation, we are longing for that adoption mm-hmm. as sons. So that once and for all, that process is, is complete and we are finally free from it all. We will never ever sin again because we won't want to. <laughs> Dave, uh, 2 Corinthians, what have I given you? 4 7? Yes. But we have this treasure in earth, earthen vessels mm-hmm. that the surprising greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Mm. What a great verse. Isn't that great to know we have this treasure and you have to know what treasure he's talking about. He's talking about all the everything that came before there in First Corinthians, right? It's, it's gospel. We have this enormous thing. It, and I, 
our bodies can't, we, our mind, we, we can't contain that. It, it's, we're just not a, we're not a fully fit vessel for that yet. You know, we're still out of tune. We, we have such a magnificent thing in us. It, it's too great. It's just too great. I, I can't. I can't work that out of myself. I need him to work the gospel out in me. It's his gospel. It's his gift. It's his blessing. It's his person. and persons. And so we want to make sure that we uh, don't get overly discouraged and be mindful. Again, our goal is not to. You know the difference between looking for an excuse for sin. There's a difference between looking for an excuse for sin and understanding why it is that sin still goes on and what I can do about it and what I can't do about it. Um, and confession to other people as well. That's very important. You know, confessing particular sin to people. But, you know, having somebody partner with you in the gospel that way. Partner with you in sanctification that way. The doctrine of sinless perfection is not to be rejected as though it were a thing simply impossible in itself. For nothing is too hard for the Lord, but because it's contrary to that method which he has chosen to proceed by. What a sentence that is. This is a challenge to his... Um, Wesley probably would have taken offense with that, right? Because Wesley was... A, wasn't he a, somewhat of a... You, you, you can be perfect, right? You know, Wesley was... <clears throat> you know, we all have our fuzzy spots. The doctrine of sinless perfection is... Why, why, should, why should... In other words, I'll reword this because... It might be hard to follow the way that he words things because the syntax and grammar of, of 19th century writing, which I think is beyond ours, requires us to undo it a little. So he's basically saying, we don't reject the doctrine of sinless perfection because it's too hard for the Lord. I mean, the Lord could do it if he wants to. No, we reject it because it's contrary to the method that Jesus has chosen. It goes against what Scripture says, in other words. The Lord has chosen a way but sin to be worked out in us. And perfection is not it. That's not happening on this side. He has appointed the sanctification that should be effected and sin mortified, not at once completely, but little by little, and doubtless he has wise reasons for it. Huh? 2 Peter 3.18 2 Peter 1, 5-8 uh, Somewhere. <laughs> April, give me 2 Peter 3.18, please. It might be. If you want to memorize it, it is. Yep, and then I'm going to do Second Peter. I'm going to go to Second Peter 1, 5 through 8. And this is huge, right? And Seth preached on this not that long ago. These are part of the methods that he's used, okay? For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, Godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. If for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need grace for every one of those steps along the way. We need grace for virtue, grace for knowledge, grace for self-control, grace for steadfastness, grace for godliness, grace for brotherly affection, grace for we need help with every step along the way. We need God's grace constantly. The Spirit imparting to us the grace of God through the, the, the redemptive work of Jesus to make us the kind of humans God had in mind when he said, hey, let's make humans. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get to that place. You said 3.8? I did. Uh, well, I think I said Second Peter 3.18. Oh, 18. Yeah. Doesn't work, huh? Wouldn't be the first time I did. 
But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both yeah. now and forever. Amen. Right. Again, how does how does Newton have all this great advice for people? He's got a mind, again, that's just full. Now he doesn't quote any of those scriptures here, but those scriptures are clearly in his mind. Grow in the grace of the Lord and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a process to growth, right? All the other passages in Romans that we groan, the knowing that he be, who began a good work in us will complete it. Right? All these other verses that come to mind and that are just in his mind to be so biblically informed that you can give good godly counsel like that. And I'm sure he must have thought as he was writing, what's, what, what does this person need to hear? And then sort of, uh, this might be Latin, no, let's get through this, just through this letter, we've got five minutes, so. Indeed, we cannot think ourselves worse than we really are. <laughs> I love that. You really can't think of yourself worse than you really are, so as bad as you think of yourself, don't worry, you're worse. That's why, uh, Somebody, I don't know if it was, might have been um, Vincent Milton in his work, uh, A Gospel Primer for Christians, who said, why should I be admitted, afraid to own up to any sin or to admit any, anything in me when I can freely admit that I'm so bad it took the Son of God to die for me? Why should I be embarrassed to confess any other sin? If I'm ready to say on the one hand, I'm so rotten, and so, I'm, I'm so bad off that God, the Son was crucified on my behalf. That's how bad I am. Anything else I can tell you is just details. If that's not shocking enough for you, then you don't understand sin, you would say. Uh, yet some things which abate the comfort and alacrity of our Christian profession are rather impediments than properly sinful and will not be imputed to us by him who knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. So there's a scripture right, right out of Psalms. God knows our frames. He knows that we, we are but dust. Okay? And that's Psalm 103, 8 to 14, if you want to read it. But. Thus, to have an infirm memory, to be subject to disordered, irregular, or low spirits, are faults of the Constitution. So it's making a distinction here between what's really sin and what's just human frailty. Thus, to have an infirm memory, to be subject to disordered, irregular, or low spirits, are faults of the Constitution, in which the will has no share though they are all burdensome and oppressive, and sometimes needlessly so by our charging ourselves with guilt on their account. The same may be observed with the unspeakable and fierce suggestions of Satan, with which some persons are pestered, but which shall be laid to him from whom they proceed, and not to them who are troubled and terrified because they are forced to feel them. In other words, Satan has an ability and a power to intensify these feelings of temptation towards us. And he's saying, that's going to be charged to Satan, not to you. I mean, don't you give into it. But that attack, that, the depth of, of, of depravity, the perversion of that, <clears throat> that, that most perverse thought that came out of you out of nowhere, while you were praying or something, that's going to be charged against Satan, not against you. Don't you worry about that. Don't indulge it. Don't give him room. Don't make any quarter for him. Uh, and then he sums up in the letter, he says, he calls us to be conformed to him in suffering. He conquered in his own person and he will make each of his members more than conquerors in due season. It is good to have an eye upon ourselves, but the other should ever be fixed on him who stands in the relation of Savior, Husband, Head, and Shepherd. In him we have righteousness, peace, and power. So while we have one eye on ourselves, make sure we get the other eye constantly on him. Ere long, he will cut short our conflicts and say, 
come up hither. It's not going to go on forever. Eventually the day is going to come when he says to you, come up hither. And he's going to, it's going to be taken away just like that. Then shall our grateful songs abound and every tear be wiped away. Having such promises and assurance, let us lift our banner in his name and press on through every discouragement. I am, dear madam, your most obliged and affectionate servant. John Newton. There's a connection between Christ's perfect obedience to the Father and our sanctification. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. He was a son. He became obedient even unto death. Yeah, he's not obedience to suffer. Yeah, although although he was a son, he learned obedience mm-hmm. from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he came to all those who obey him, the source of eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. So here's Mrs. Wilberforce, trouble with this idea of remaining sin in her. You know, and just talking to Newton about it, and him giving her just this great, uh, robust, rich spiritual uh, exhortation, admonition. Uh, I don't, certainly don't see any reproof in there reminding her, calling the, you know, like Peter says at one point, I will continue to call these things to your mind, right? I'll continue to put you in remembrance of these things. Why? Because it's a struggle. Because it's true. I mean, like it or not, we are just, um, we're waiting for that final come up hither. And again, when that happens, there'll be a, just like there'll be a, a sudden, you know, you never know what a day brings forth, Right? When life is suddenly taken, well, sin is going to be so for the Christian. Your life might be suddenly, your life here might be suddenly taken. Sin is also going to be suddenly taken away, completely gone, in an instant. It's going to be gone. You will never ever have that troubling you again. You will have a spiritual power, and, and, a, and then when you're re- reunited with the body, it, it'll be complete. All right, because we're not going to be able to dance for joy. We're not going to be able to express our joy in dancing until we get the body to dance with again, right? All those things that are going to happen to us spiritually, we're going to need to express through a body at some point. That's why, you know, Paul at one point says, you know, being disembodied isn't the greatest thing, but, you know, we, we, we long to put off this tent and put on the other. So, it's all coming. So don't, uh, you know, his, his whole point to her is, look, don't, don't be overly discouraged. Yeah, you, you, you can't think badly enough of your sin. <laughs> as bad as you think of it, it's worse than you think, okay? So take heart in that. And, you know, don't get so discouraged by it, 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 it makes you become grumpy. To, I mean, you get so disgusted with your own and, and frustrated that you take that out. That doesn't just sit with you, right? Frustration always is, is best put to use against somebody else. <laughs> That's the way we are. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, so we don't feel relief from our frustration until we vent it on someone. So uh, all of those things can affect us. And, 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 and Newton knows that. And, just, and that's just from... You know, God blessed him with an understanding, a scriptural understanding of the human condition. He's, uh, you know, he's um, quite a, a physician himself, a spiritual physician, John Newman. So we're thankful for him. All right. So who wants to close us up in prayer? Dave, would you close us in prayer, please? Uh, certainly. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for this so important lesson. How we communicate with each other, how we treat each other, Father. And let this be the foundation and the jumpstart and the momentum that carries us carries us mm. to the worship service that will be full of your love mm. full of your grace and we, our hearts will be filled with joy ready to worship you in Jesus name Amen Amen, Amen. Thank you Amen.